In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Zebras are God's way of laughing at race. Scrapple is a nonsensical food. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Climb on my ass and scale the Grand Canyon. Anything goes at Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. So Jeff Ritzman, we um, we had a guest this week. Very good guest. We 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 recorded a fine show. It was a fine show. And then I had technical difficulties. Uh, yes. And the recording is completely unlistenable. So we're going to record that again later this weekend, and and we'll have him on uh, next week. That would be. Uh, what's his name? Brent Spiner? Is that, is that who we had? Um, I thought it would be Christopher Walken. Ah, right. Well, whoever we had, uh, he'll be on next week. So this week, uh, we're just going to wing it. Brent Spiner. <laughs> but, but, but unlike most shows where, where people wing it, uh, this one will almost feel structured. In fact, I would like to start off with, um, by reading you a passage from a book called Dark Cosmos in Search of Our Universe's Missing Mass and Energy by Dr. Dan Hooper. All right. Here on page 10. Uh, I'm very far into the book, as you can tell. Um, he says this, Imagine a particle, for example, uh, that is not affected by either the strong nuclear or electromagnetic force, but only by gravity and the weak nuclear force. Such a particle exists, and we call it the neutrino. Neutrinos are very light and fast, and because they do not feel the strong nuclear or electromagnetic force, they scarcely interact with ordinary matter. Neutrinos can often travel through the entire Earth without interacting with it or anything on Earth, such as telescopes. There are hundreds of billions of neutrinos traveling through your body every second of every day, entirely undetected, entirely invisible. The neutrino's elusiveness leads to a question crucial to understanding the composition of our world. If there were enough neutrinos in the universe, could they outweigh all of the more familiar stuff? Could there be more total mass in neutrinos than in atoms? Could there be more mass in neutrinos than in baseballs, automobiles, planes, and stars put together? Could our visible world really be a, only a small subset of the physical reality that is our universe? Are we just a pocket of light in an otherwise hidden universe? <laughs> Jeff Ritzman uh, is holding up an Aflac duck uh, in in response to that. So here we have uh, a, a, a scientist right. writing a book about dark matter and essentially saying that it looks to him like we are embedded in this deeper universe that we can't see all around us. Mm-hmm. And that's the explanation. That's how it works. It's not like just some 
mythical thing that that we say and it sounds good but once you probe deeper you you realize oh there there's no possibility no he's saying neutrinos <laughs> smaller than atoms um comprise you know uh the stuff we can't see mm-hmm. which is more than what we can by far mm-hmm. uh we should have this guy on the show eh uh yeah provided that uh Provided that uh, we we can understand what the hell he's talking about, um, I mean, I think you could. I, I I'm 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 not uh, I'm not not especially versed in science, so he'd have to educate me a bit on that. But um, uh, and science in the way of of molecular things, and you know. But I do remember reading in um, Michukaku's hyperspace that. Um, you know that what we see of the world as it is is uh, that the atomic world looks completely different than that, which again kind of you know speaks to that same thing that 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 what we see is is I mean and we I think we already know this that the you know the visible light spectrum that we can see is definitely not all there is not by a long shot in fact we're rather numb to the whole of reality with what we have. Um, I mean, we just, we simply don't have the hardware to do that. Henceforth, why we need infrared and things like that to see, um, things that are otherwise invisible to us in the, in the biological sense of things. Well, I just, I find it interesting. He says they don't have to interact with the earth or anything on it. They don't have to, they can Mm -hmm. is the implication. Uh, you know, what would beings from there look like (laughs) the beings that we're talking about? Perhaps. Um. Wow. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um. I mean, could beings be comprised of these things? I mean, is that what we're getting at here? Is that? Uh, I feel like I feel like well, I've fallen asleep in science class. So. Well, in a way, I mean that that isn't that all in a, another you know dimension is or you know when we talk about interdimensional stuff, isn't it really just hmm. uh, a dimension comprised of well particles and waves or whatever uh, that we can't see? Yeah. Um, well, waves, but that seem to be indicated by other things, you know, seem to be indicated by, well, just like, you know, um, when you talk about black holes and things like that, it's like, well, how do you know there's a black hole? Well, it's indicated by how the objects around it, ostensibly it, are behaving. Right. Um, so can't we say the same thing about, uh, about this phenomenon that how do we know, Hmm. how do we know it's there? How do we know what it isn't? Well, we know it isn't aliens based on how it's interacting with aliens in the classic uh, sense of of extraterrestrials (laughs) from another planet that we know about or or that we don't know about and uh, that exist in the physical universe. Um, Yeah, I mean, Ray Fowler, somebody sent a link to a uh, to uh, an interview with Ray Fowler, who's, you know, basically says he believes that it's, you know, this that it's a larger universe that we're embedded in. And based on, you know, more or less based on uh, the fact that UFOs disappear into thin air, you know, that they just sort of can materialize and dematerialize at at will. 
uh, as can these beings, and that that's not indicative of space travel, right? So much as it is this, and so to me, it's like, well, that's I mean, when you, if you think about that, that that is sharing the same language as this scientist about dark matter. It's something that can interact with the world, but doesn't have to. I don't know. It's it's real when it wants to be, and not real. I mean, as far as our perspective, it's real when it wants to be. It can be real, but it doesn't have to be from our perspective. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that sounds interesting. Um, and that's, again, I, yeah, I think that is something we should pursue looking at. I guess my other question at that point is, you know, the the other, I mean, yeah, we've got that, you know, in, into a, a a workable discussion there, but how would something, now, now taking that theorem and looking at that particular subset of what we're, talking about how does something like that then apply itself to a DMT experience? If that is in the realm of things, are you then perceiving particles that aren't there or? Aha. I'm glad you asked that, Jeff. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I don't know if you looked at um, somebody had posted a a video of uh, a talk by Jill Taylor stroke Mm -hmm. of insight uh, she is a brain doctor. What would that be? A neurosurgeon, physicist, neuro something, uh-huh. okay. neurologist, neurologist, yeah, neuro- neurotic, that's a neuro doctor, <laughs> neurotic. Um, <clears throat> in any event, so she was uh, quote unquote fortunate enough to have had a stroke while being a brain doctor and um, mm. recognized that you know essentially her her uh, right brain took over, her left brain shut down. Right brain being your creative, abstract thinking. Left brain being your logical brain. Uh, And everything she describes, um, with the exception of uh, some of the sounds, like people talking to her sounded like dogs (laughs) barking, sort of. Um, Hmm. I I haven't heard that, but um, all of the visual stuff that she says that that happened is stuff that I've had happen during meditation uh, experiences or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all of it. And so, it, so what is, what does that mean? And part of what she said, um, was that she, she watched her body sort of, uh, it became particles. She, she knew that her body, like she was looking at her, her arms and her hands and they become the racing particles that make up her arms and hands. They were no longer her arms and hands. And she could hear her brain like talking to the body and saying, now you do this, now you do that, now you do that, and sort of sending mm-hmm. signals, and it was uh, sort of the surreal experience. She didn't realize she was having a stroke at this point. She just thought she woke up off, <laughs> a little bit off. Uh, wow. So I'm just wondering, um, is that not now? I, I, I take that information and and I couple that with um, Charles Ledbetter, the the alleged psychic or clairvoyant who discovered Krishnamurti uh, when he was a little boy and said, that that's the one. Um, he also famously described quarks. He claimed he could see them, and he described them before they were known about. So, hmm. <laughs> uh, and then I think about the things that I see, the little dots of light and all that, and I wonder, you know, that's you, you could describe that as quark-like behavior, I suppose. Um, so is that it? Is it just a matter of switching over to the uh, the right hemisphere of your brain to be able to see these things that you can't 
normally see with your eyes and and um, G. And if you add to that DMT created in the pineal gland or given to you artificially or through a plant or whatever, um, you know, that's just an, probably an added layer of uh, sight or insight. Um, <clears throat> but it just, it just dawns on me that, it, you know, we've got the tools to see this stuff now, you know. It's just a matter of uh, switching perspectives or switching halves of your brain to be able to see. Well, To take yes. in the other, the other <laughs> part of the world, filtered by one half, the other part filtered by the other half of the brain. Maybe it's just that hmm. simple. Letting the dampeners get down. Um, yeah, maybe. Um my question would be at that point is why has this thing or why does this, this particular pigeonhole phenomena, why does it manifest the way it does? Again, we can perceive things all we want. My question here is how does a, let's say a DMT experiment experience where one sees a saucer of some sort or some sort of flying object in the sky during a uh, hallucinogenic experience and then see a similar object in a non-psychedelic state or or um, uh, a completely lucid state of, uh, you know, sobriety. How does one, how does that manifest from such a place as you know, a psychedelic experience to a non-psychedelic experience and be available to, to everyone. Um, that, that's, that's well, the part that, that I get hung up on about this is, is I get, that, I, I mean, get two, two sort of things about that. One, one is sort of a semi answer or possibility, which is, you know, just from saying here, which is that you unbeknownst to you, you're, you're the way you're thinking, the way your brain is working, whichever, the other half becomes dominant and you aren't aware of it. And so it might be as simple as that. But one question to ask is, does that type of thing happen ever to anyone before they've taken the DMT uh, or, you know, the drug? Or is it always after they've gotten used to that and started doing that? Because it might just start producing in your brain uh, or reworking, you know, synapses and all that fun stuff uh, in your mm -hmm. brain. Um. And really the only way to sort of figure that out is if McKenna, you know, for instance, had never touched a drug and saw the Adamski craft or something like that. Right, uh, right. Well, I think he even struggled with that because he, you know, as in the book he says, that he was standing on a a bank where uh, apparently they had all been sitting around uh, eating mushrooms, what have you, the, the night before. And as he uh, had been sitting there for hours, the, the visions that he was having faded away. Um, and just, I mean, just for the simple sake that maybe no one has fully listened to that lecture or read the book, um, he saw, um, and, and he, he makes it very clear during the, the, the lecture that he was not wasted. He was insomniac. He couldn't sleep. So he stood up from the rock that they were all that he was sitting on and walked down a short incline um, to near the, the water, the waterfall that was that was there at, at La Chirera. And across the water, he saw 
some mist not very far away. And this mist began to separate into separate uh, pieces, and they formed into lens-shaped clouds. And he said it was very strange because it all seemed to, it all looked so very orchestrated, um, the way he puts it, as if nature were being controlled by something else besides Mother Nature. And um, these clouds then coalesced into a large cloud. It began to darken and swirl. And at that point, the disk is material out of this, out of this mist. And it, uh, uh, and I, I think even more interesting than what he later says about it is that um, it, it basically, it flew right over top of him. It made a sharp turn and, and disappeared, uh, or flew out of sight, rather. Um, it it was, without a doubt to him, the Adamski disc, which he purely thought was a hoax. Uh, he knew was a 1937 Hoover end cap uh, rigged up to look like a flying saucer. His question was, you know, not only why does this phenomena cast doubt upon itself by virtue of how it manifests itself, but also... Um, uh, he makes a really good point was, was, was it real? Because he was the only one to see it. He, during the, the beginning of the, uh, of the sighting of these, these clouds coalescing together, he looked back at the shack where everyone was sleeping. And he says, I, I wanted to run back immediately and try and wake someone up so that they could see what I was seeing and give me confirmation of what was happening. But I didn't want to take my eyes off of it. And uh, and what he what he says is that he had this wave of definite fear associated with it, and he said, "I at that point it was when I sat down on the rock when I was shaking so bad I could barely stand." So he sat down, and um, as he's watching this, he says, "I knew immediately it was going to take me." And he was deeply afraid of that. He said this wave of definite fear. And he says then, as it as it as it came closer and went over top of him, he realized it wasn't going to take him, and the fear subsided. And what replaced it was disappointment, <laughs> which is an interesting way uh, to feel about something like that. Um, but his whole point in talking about that was, you know, he watched this thing going from a very little bit of cloud into a rivet studded aircraft. Um, and, but he never attached the quotation of real to it because he really couldn't know. He didn't touch it. He didn't ping it with a rock. He didn't any of that. He said, you know, real, who's to say, uh, he watched it go from a little bit of cloud to a rivet studded aircraft. Now, what was it more true to itself as a cloud or aircraft? Um, and this is this has been the problem with all of ufology for me is that you know we can talk about all the landing trace cases and all of the sightings and the photographs none of that makes it real to me real in the sense that you could touch it you could hit it with a rock and it would ping um so i do wonder how real it is um and i agree with you that for a long time, I thought 
you know, this thing responds to how much attention you pay to it. Nowadays, I kind of almost go in a tandem direction to that to say that you are the one who is changing your perceptions based on your thought. And you're becoming more aware of things that are already there. It's not that it's taking an interest in you. It's already there. Um, it's already around us all the time. What you're seeing is what you're training your brain to see. Um, and of course, any skeptic could get a hold of that and shred me to death about it. But that's more or less how I think about it these days in that way. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say to any of the neutrino stuff. I, I'm not versed enough in, in any of that to, to, to say what I think about that. It, it's, I mean, it's over my head. Um, uh, I, I think I've told you before, I can't, I can perfectly visualize the, 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 a scenario in my head, but to try to describe it sometimes is retarded. Uh, I just, yeah. I well, no, it. I mean, I, I think it's just giving sort of flesh and body to what we've already been thinking mm -mm. in terms of yeah. being enmeshed yeah. in some Absolutely. larger picture. But um, oddly enough, I was I was in the bookstore just last weekend, and there's a book, I think it was called 2013 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it was basically about what's going to happen after 2012. Um, mm -hmm. I was just like reading the cover of it. And... I, what was interesting was um, mentioned said basically that time is going to change to fractal time. And I thought, huh, hmm. fractals? Wait a minute, where have I heard this before? Right. Yeah. Um. I don't know what the hell does any of that mean either. <laughs> um. I, I don't get it. Um. Fractal time. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, well, you wouldn't have just heard it about from my experience in that Jacques Vallée mentions that he th thought that these beings may have been fractal beings, um, which, um, which I've heard him talk about before. So, I mean, and it's in his books. Um, I don't know. That's another thing I don't know how to respond to because I don't know how anyone could know that. Um, I don't, uh, I, and you know, I don't. I'm not a big 2012 guy either. I'm not a big anything. You know what I think it is? It's <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because 2012. It's like you, if you have this theory, or if you if you, if you take any scientific theory that you mm. like that that can't be proven, and you just mm. say, okay, this is going to happen after 2012. It doesn't even matter how you get from from A to B, like the mechanism. It's sort of superfluous. It's like, oh well, there's going to be you know this galactic alignment, and it's going to blast a light on the Earth, and and that's how it's going to happen. Or aliens right. are going to come, and that's how it's going to happen. You know, however, it doesn't matter. I just really think 2012 and dates like that are have really more than like doomsday devices have become devices for people to sell material uh, based on their own pet hypothesis of how the universe really is. And that's the magic right. date when we'll all wake up and see that that's how the universe really is. You know, I find yeah. that interesting. And when, it, and when it doesn't happen, that's when everybody will say, "Well, we just weren't ready." Right. Yeah. You know, we weren't ready. We weren't ready, Jeremy. We weren't ready, or yeah. this was just the beginning of the unfolding of it, and it could take mm -hmm. an indefinite amount of time. You know. Right. Um, you know, I um, now don't get me wrong. 
if like like you know as of you know the past year probably my my own experiences have been fleeting and minimal i would say i mean really i would say minimal um now it, towards 2012 if if that stuff ramps up or gets really out of hand then maybe i'll say hmm <laughs> what does that mean but um i i try not to i mean i'll be honest with you um an audience you know with the, with the audience here that that uh, i don't anymore since i came back to this i don't really read a lot of books on it i don't i don't watch a lot of tv programs about it i don't i'm not i'm not looking for anything in a book if i read a book it'll be because i'm interested in knowing what someone thinks about something it like Michukaku, I did read most of hyperspace. Um, and I'm reading, uh, uh, book. Um, uh, what is it called? Messengers of deception. Mm-hmm. I'm reading that, um, here and there, but nothing, you know, in preparation for Maccabee's appearance, do talking about golf breeze. I read the golf breeze sightings again. I, I looked through that, but I remembered most of that. I, I really, and, and I kind of implore most experiencers to do this is, you know, don't read the stuff. Don't, I I tend to think that when I get into a mode of reading books about all this stuff that, um, I almost feel like I'm polluting my own experience with it uh, to some degree. Um, it's not that I'm not interested. I am interested, but, um, I have far too much weird stuff happen to, to read that and then p- perhaps somehow contaminate what's yeah, going I on. I get that. If you get what I mean. I, I try to stay away from it these That's days, to be honest with you. That's how I am with the spirit shit, you know? I'm not that way with the yeah. UFO stuff so much, but definitely with the energy thing. Because that was yeah. so fresh and new, it's like, okay, well, I better keep the purity of it. I have a chance. Want... <laughs> you know? Yeah. With the UFO and, and stuff, I had already contaminated it. myself, you know, in high school reading books and whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I... And I've rarely had anything that's kind of coincided with anything I've read. Um, but I don't know. I just um, – I'd rather just see it and uh, and these days I think I'm dealing better with it. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't find a lot of books saying anything new or different and frankly, I don't want to be influenced by even the best people like Jacques Vallée. I don't I, – I'd rather come there on my own uh, than to be influenced by, um, you know, I, I read his books just to, to get his insight on it, but I always try to make that definitive line that this is not my thoughts, this is his thoughts, and I don't want to be influenced by that. I want to see it for myself. Um, so, you know, as as far as um, uh, reading a lot about it, I've read, I read tons about it the past 20 years, and these days I just, I really don't. I don't put too much time into reading books or watching videos or anything like that. Um, so I guess really I'm, <laughs> I'm behind the times to a certain degree, but um, I, I find that I largely disagree with a lot of stuff that gets written. So I don't read it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but um, I do listen to podcasts. I do like listening to people. Um, talk about their experiences and I like listening to researchers present what they found and all of that. So I do do that, but you know, as far as the other stuff, um, 
I, I just don't read a great deal about it anymore. Um, so, you know, that's, that's about all I have to say about that. Right. Um, but I guess I, um, I guess I should, um, talk a little bit about, um, last week. <laughs> eh? Why? Uh, last week? Oh, yes, last week. Ah, yes. Last week. <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. So, so, so Jeremy can laugh at me some more? No, no. Um, <laughs> um, you... So, unbeknownst... You you made it so that I don't have to do my part oh, you're, in this. Oh, you're, oh, you're going to do your part, <laughs> sucker. You're going to do your part. Um, so... We really wanted to have Dr. McKenna on, um, and and he's he's uh, I believe not in the country right now. He's doing some research in South America, I believe. Uh, but last week I um, ingested about a little over a gram of the dried mushroom, which my wife doesn't know about. <laughs> Better keep that down, boy. <laughs> She might listen to the podcast, but, um, uh, it was late. I, I talked to Jeremy on the way home from work and I was just, I don't know. It was just one of those rare days that it was just, everything went right. And I was in a really great mood and, um, I, I got home and I said, you know what, if, if any day was going to be the day, this would be the day. So, uh, I, um, went home and. Uh, sat and watched some TV, and then I got up and went out to my studio and mixed some in to some orange juice and drank it. <laughs> um, Mushrooms and OJ together again, right? And I, I can't, I can't absolutely say it was a gram, but it, it might have been a little over, but it looked like about about that much. And uh, and uh, I sat there for about. Phew, a good 40 minutes and, uh, and nothing <laughs> at all. Um, and I should, um, should have, have these around too. Um, <clears throat> notes, <laughs> ridiculousness. Um, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, pr- this was one of those things where I, I just kind of did it because I was in such a good mood. Um, I, I did kind of set the room, um, rather, well, not horribly dimly, but dimly and, uh, um, sat on the floor and I just kind of waited and waited and waited. It felt like forever. And, it, and then I think towards about the half, half an hour mark, um, I got almost, um, like a remorseful type feeling, um, sort of, a, I didn't throw up, which was interesting because my belly is super sensitive to all kinds of different spicy foods and stuff like that. Um, so I figured I probably wouldn't. I was prepared. I had my uh, car washing bucket next to me, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't throw up, which was kind of weird. Um, and I would say about the, um, the half an hour mark, maybe 35 minutes later, I felt definitely strange. Um, uh, here, uh, I wrote, um, uh, somewhat disconnected from limbs. Um, 
I was I was much into documenting the the feelings, the physical feelings, which was the thing I was always curious about. Like, how bad does it get? Um, uh, the odd part was is that there was this definite disconnect between my hand. Um, that's the first thing I noticed was my left hand. I I went to scratch my nose, and it's really hard to explain this. Like I knew it was my hand and I knew I was moving my arm and I wasn't kind of like, <laughs> you know, like going to rub my nose. I, I, I didn't slap myself in the forehead or anything. It was just everything felt like I can control it. But I just felt this definite. Uh, there's a certain connection you feel with your limbs that I didn't feel that it felt. It was very, very strange feeling like a disconnected feeling. Um, and I with that immediately freaked out and I stood up and when I stood up, I noticed that my legs were the same way. It felt like I had no legs. Um, if I didn't look at them, it didn't seem like they were really there. It was that kind of disconnect. Um, and, uh, once I paced about the studio for a couple of minutes, I sat back down and tried to remember what Dr. McKenna said that I ate the mushroom and I, I knew that because there's, there is that, what's going on? What, what is this? What, you know, there's definitely that kind of feeling. Uh, and the longer that I sat there, I, I shut my eyes. Um, and, uh, I did, I did see things. I saw, um, some like poppy looking colors. Um, uh, I kind of, kind of like when you rub your eyes sometimes, like after just standing up and you get those, those sparkle points of light type stuff, like, or when you strain really hard to pick something up, sometimes you see those little fleeting, they kind of come in like this and they glow up and then they go away. It's all things sort of like that. But when I opened my eyes again, and again, the room was dim. Uh, I, I told Jeremy, I said, there's, there's snakes everywhere, <laughs> but they weren't snakes. They were like tubes, um, like ribbed looking tubes. And they were all over everything. Um, I won't say that they were so vivid. They were again, like that kind of overlay feeling about them. Um, and they were, they were over the door, the floor, um, the workbench, the canvas, the window, the curtains. Could you touch them? Uh, well, I, I mean, I touched the curtains, but nothing. There was, it was no response to it. I mean, did your hand um, go through it? Did you have a visual of of it well, pressing were, in with your fingers, or of your fingers going through it? No, they weren't. They weren't. It was like they were on it. It wasn't. It was an overlay type of thing, but it was much more connected with the object than with my vision. So I didn't feel anything except the curtain when I touched it. I didn't feel anything. I didn't, I didn't feel the ribs on it. I didn't, it looked like you could though. Um, but they were very, at times they were very faint and at other times they seemed a lot more pronounced. Usually directly after opening my eyes, it was the most pronounced. As I kept my eyes open longer, it seemed to kind of become secondary to my actual vision. Um, uh, and I think you asked me on the phone, you know, was it was it like uh, an experience? Did it have that feeling or that flavor to it? And I said, yeah, it did. 
Um, and it did in the sense that, um, and I don't know that I've ever mentioned this on our show or not. I mean, maybe you remember, but, um, usually in, in a, um, in any kind of alien experience, uh, being in the presence of these beings, whatever they are, um, there's almost for me a undercurrent or underfeeling of being um, a child, being very small and very um, – I don't know how you'd explain this. There's a certain feeling that you have at Christmas time. There's a certain feeling that you have on Halloween. There's a certain feeling that's associated with being a child that you don't have now that you're an adult. And that childlike feeling is how I feel in these experiences. I felt the same way with this experience. It was the same type of hmm. feeling. Um, now you've never said, I don't think you've ever said that on the show. I don't think no. I've ever heard you say that. And that's interesting because in 2001, that most vivid abduction experience I had, um, where the mm. girl's laying next to me and I roll over and there they are. Um, mm. I've been saying all along that, that there was something about them that even though I was like deathly scared, there's something mm. about them that exuded like a childlike naivete or something like a mm. come with us, come play with us almost sort of quality to it mm-hmm. that mm. sort of broke through the fear, or at least I could see that. And so in my head go, wait a minute, there's something definitely wrong with me being this terrified because they're not mm. doing that. They're like kids or something. But I didn't feel mm. that for myself, but I find it odd that you no, say I've, that because I certainly felt that on their behalf. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like um, like this this that, that I'm I'm a child. I feel like that childlike feeling. Now, and that's again, it's a really difficult thing to describe that feeling. But there's that there's that definite warm, fuzzy, childlike feeling about it. Um, and that's the same, that feels the same to me. And I hadn't felt that in so very long, that potently. Um, but I did feel it with that. But again, with these tube things, I think it's, it's hard to describe that the aspect of them making up everything. Um, I picked up a ruler, a wooden ruler that I had my workbench and I looked at the number two (laughs) and when I, thought about I had to chuckle to myself because I thought how much of an idiot do I look like sitting here with this ruler like with it two inches from my face but even the number two they were moving inside of the little number two and the little millimeter m's I mean it was just ridiculously fascinating for some reason that it seemed like they they were what was holding everything together these 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 tubes you know that that at least for my money looked like they were alive. Um, but the one thing I did notice about this stuff is after I got kind of, I don't know, can you get comfortable? I don't think I got comfortable with it, but at least I knew, you know, it was nothing like what I expected at all. Nothing, nothing like what I expected. I expected to be laying on my back like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And I wasn't that at all, you know. Um, I did feel, I did feel a lot more in control than what I made it up to be in my head. Um, 
the one thing that I did find somewhat uh, frightening about it is that when I did shut my eyes, I did, I did see things and, and, um, it didn't, none of it seemed like things that I would think about. Um, um, I, I know that, and this is the best way I know to describe it is that when I thought of things with my eyes shut, I could see them and it was very deep and rich and it was like you can imagine anything in your head, but now try to try to picture that, you know, while you're imagining things in your head, your consciousness is still firmly rooted where you are. Picture that now going the opposite way of where when you think of a scenario or you're in this visionary with your eyes shut thing going on, you're more there than you are aware of your surroundings in reality. I guess that's the best way to put it. You become where you're thinking or wherever this this effect is taking you. That's where you are. And so to my I think my foot fell asleep or something and it started to tingle. It freaked me out and I my eyes opened up, but I became aware of just how still everything was. Everything felt very still and uh and to jolt out of that it was almost like for a split second, you don't quite know where you are because just a millisecond ago you were, I mean, one of the things I saw was walking in the woods with some girl. I have no idea what we were talking about because I just don't remember. Um, but it was woods and trees and birds and there was sunlight and golden, um, uh, like, uh, like wheat, uh, sporadically about, but we were in kind of like this darkened area. We're just walking towards this light. Um, and I remember we were having some conversation, but I couldn't tell you about what, um, and I was there. I mean, it was very, my thought was there. It wasn't where I was. Um, and when I jolted out of that, I thought, man, you know, it it almost had the feeling like if I didn't start moving then and snap back, it felt like, would I have been able to get back? <laughs> that kind of thing. And then I became a little bit afraid of that and to the point where I, again, was up just pacing the floor with my funny feeling arms and legs and lips and nose and all of that, um, not wanting to sit down and, and do that. And then I, I, you know, again, I just talked to myself out of it. I'm like, you know, this is, it's all part of this. And, and that kept going and half of it, I don't even remember. Uh, it kept, it would kind of trail off for a few minutes and then it would come back stronger than before. And it just kept doing that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe four or five times or something like that until it, seemed like everything was getting feeling a more normalcy about it, you know, and I started to get tired. Um, and I have no idea the, the, the length of time was, was uh, time didn't seem 
uh, in an inordinate amount of time passed and I didn't realize that it was that long. And I was like, God, when is this going to be done? Because I got to go to bed and how am I going to sleep like this? And, you know, if I sleep, am I going to wake up? And, you know, so there was a, there was a, a, a certain amount of fear associated with this, but did I see aliens? No. Did I hear a voice? Uh, n- not like I thought, not like I was thinking it was going to be like sitting there in this dimly lit room. You th- all of a sudden would hear this audible voice. It wasn't, I, no, no, I didn't. But within one of these times when my eyes was shut, um, I, I did hear, uh, somebody saying, uh, uh, Hard and and the more I think, I definitely can picture. I can I can audibly recall what the voice sounded like. It was more. It was harder to tell if it was male or female. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a definite feeling of woman throughout the whole thing. Uh, throughout all of it, it felt like female. Um, but that whatever this voice was saying it was, it started out low, and it began saying words over and over and getting progressively louder and louder and louder until it did feel like it was in my ear. Um, uh, and, and I can't remember if it was saying, uh, read, read your DNA or read the DNA or something about DNA. Um, and there were, um, I saw ribbons, like twisted ribbons that look like a DNA helix, that type of looking thing. Uh, but they were ill-defined at best. I mean, I literally had to think about that almost after the fact to think, oh, that was DNA floating by. That was DNA moving. Um, uh, but the whole thing, I told you uh, some days before that I had again woken up late at night, uh, from, from sleeping, I, I woke up about three, three thirty, And I was seeing when I shut my eyes, these bands, these overlapping bands, just overlapping each other over and over and over and seeing the lightning flash. And I think I talked about that on Brandon's show. Right. I, I can very much see it being like that. Um, I, I could picture myself seeing that within the 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 mushroom type experience, even though I didn't probably didn't take nearly enough. Um, you know, I was advised by several people, including some on the message board, to start low, and I have to say, um, starting low is is pretty much starting and ending. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't think I'd want to do it again. Well, that didn't sound so horrible. I don't know. What is it about it that you don't well, want to do again? There is... Um, uh, I don't like the, the way it makes my body feel. That's the biggest thing. I don't like that disconnected with the limbs because I have to admit that there were a couple of times where uh, I went to move my arms and... Um, uh, I had a glass of ice water with me. Um, I, I would go to pick it up and, you know, when you want to move your hand, you move, you move your hand. Uh, 
there was a delay a couple of times that really scared me that almost felt like an onset of some kind of paralysis. And, and it, I would go to move my arm and, and all of a sudden it would move like that. It would jump. And I think it jumped due to my adrenaline saying, my hand's not moving. So I had that. I really didn't like that. That was probably one of the really bad things. And then I realized that that later on, I think that might've been that I was a little bit tensed up and I might have been hunching my shoulders or something like that. Maybe I was making myself, you know, into that panic state a little bit. Um, I think the other part is, is just that, that surrealistic feeling, that hyper feeling is very much present in this. That is for sure. That feeling of hyper reality, the feeling of, um, and, and you, you and everybody else at this point has heard me talk about the little, the little fine particles that you see when you stare at a wall that seem to be vibrating and moving. That's all real present in that. I mean, real present. Maybe it was because I had the lights on the dim side, although I don't think it would have mattered either way. Um, uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't see, I mean, I didn't throw up, which was good because I was worried about that, but that didn't happen. But I was always on the verge of like thinking, okay, when's, when's that coming? When, when am I going to puke? Um, uh, and I didn't like how it, seemingly rapid that it onset. It, for me, it seemed to be, whoosh and there you are <laughs> um and for somebody who's never done anything um that was a little bit s- startling you know um and i probably should have had someone someone with me but i just didn't so uh, maybe it would have been better if i had maybe if you'd have been here um you would have been able to say you know what's going on you know or, or you would have been you know poking me in the back going what's that jeff what's that what's that <laughs> uh <laughs> But, um, Ooh. hello, Jeffrey, yeah. just do hand puppets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Um, um, it didn't last nearly as long as I thought uh, I was thinking four hours or something like that. And it wasn't even close to that. I don't think so. It, it was interesting. I'll say that. Um, and once it was over, I have to say I was pretty, I was pretty relieved <laughs> and tired. I was very tired. <laughs> um, and it took me a couple of days uh, for my uh, digestive system to return to normal. I'll say that. I had the runs really bad. <laughs> um, that, that's really uh, about it. Um, most of what I jotted down is incoherent and, um, uh, I don't, I don't know what, what any of it means. So <laughs> I, it was ridiculous. Nice. There's, there's fucking snakes everywhere. That's all I can tell you. And <laughs> that was probably, I would, I would say the most interesting thing because to be honest with you, I, I think if I did it again, I would probably, I would probably be more comfortable and probably be able to get a little bit more into the closed eye stuff. But that is... Would it surprise you if you ended up in an abduction scenario? Mm, no. I remember, <laughs> I remember at one point 
getting up off the floor and saying, I, I got to go outside. And then once I got to the door, I was like, no, that's a really bad idea to go outside because that if the inside of this building is re- as ridiculous as, I, as I'm seeing it, when I stare at something, I mean, and, and here's the thing, the, the snake tube things, I didn't see those in me. I mean, I can look around the room like this. I can look around and everything looked pretty okay. A little sharper, a little bit more crisp looking, but, uh, it was, it was when you, you know, would sit there and just look is when these things would start to kind of start running around uh, all over everything. And I thought, no, if I go outside, how ridiculous is that going to look? Um, I thought it might be too much, excuse me, for me to handle. So I didn't go outside. I, I took my hand off the door like it was, <laughs> I took my hand off the door like, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. And I just sat back down. Um, but the thing about the, the, um, the DNA thing is like, I had heard um, somebody talk about that online and um, and I'd read a couple of things on Irwid about the voice saying this kind of thing, like something about DNA, like read your DNA or or here is your DNA or something like that. So I have to wonder, was I influenced by what I read and now I'm in this experience and now I'm thinking to what I've read? Or not? I thought Brandon said something like that too during our episode. Uh, uh, Read your DNA. Maybe. Huh? Yeah, I don't. I don't remember to be honest with you. Um, but uh, but yeah, I had definitely heard or read something like that, and and so I wonder if that was part of that. Um, and the only thing that I said back at that point was, uh, "Don't be so loud." <laughs> Because it was, it was getting progressively louder <laughs> until it shocked me out of keeping my eyes shut. Because it seemed like I only heard that with my eyes shut. It wasn't going when I opened my eyes. Uh, again, you're you're in that place. It's you're very in that. You're in your thoughts. You're very in that place. That's that is your reality. That is where you are. Um, and when something kind of, you know bumps you out it's it's almost it, for me it was kind of like oh okay oh all right so it was that kind of immerse and very immersive you know that kind of thing um parts of it just uh, i'm not able to really describe it it was not as far out as it sounds but it definitely had that quality about it that was very surreal um, and it was, it was, it, I'm, I'm not going to say it was exactly the same thing, but it, it, a lot of, a lot of parts of it made very much this correlation between that and, and an, and an alien experience. I like the, the feeling of the child feeling and the, um, uh, and the, the hyper real sharp lines and, vividness was all really pronounced. That was, that was definitely there. Um, and, and I do have to wonder what was the, the most vivid part, which was walking in those woods. What was that? Because that was just, I mean, I could, if you could hook a VCR up to my head, I could play you that. And 
I would defy anyone to say that that's not very detailed. I mean, very um, accurate. I mean, just just really accurate things. Just really accurate. The the the, the trees were just far deeper, far more uh, tactile than uh, like a dream is. A dream seems fleeting, and things look a little more simplistic. This was so. so so granular so you know detailed and deep and the colors and the everything just looked like you were there and i have to wonder what in the hell that was i mean it was it was very short for me because like i said i kind of jerked myself out of it i i my toe started tingling and jumped because i didn't know what was going on and that was past the time where i went to move my hand and it didn't want to move the right way and that kind of like gave me the willies and so maybe if you did that again, you get more used to those feelings and, and maybe you, you don't focus as much on them like I did. And maybe I scared myself out of a lot of stuff that I might've been able to see or, or feel, but, um, you know, I just, <laughs> I did laugh to myself a couple of times, which was a little weird because it was hard to stop. Um, <laughs> Because I, for when I first saw the the tubes, I I said, snakes. Why did why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> you know? And that just made me chuckle. And then I chuckle like I just kind of like, <laughs> and it became hard to. I wasn't laughing on the inside, but let let I was laughing on the outside, <laughs> and I couldn't. It found that kind of hard to control to a certain point, but um, not horrible, but. I could not possibly picture myself doing more. Uh, I just don't, I mean, I, that's, that's so out there to me. It, it just, um, it, it was nothing like what I expected, which I expected a lot worse. I was not disappointed, but I don't know that I'd be so readily into doing that again. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I drew the connections that I drew based on feelings and how I feel during these experiences. And then I can see it being, I could see, I could definitely feel and see that connection between those two experiences. Definitely. But I didn't see anything, you know, of that nature. I didn't see anything ufologically related at all. Not at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the best thing that I can, um, say about the, the, the voice and the one thought that I was in is that way back when, um, when my life was a three ring circus with this shit, um, uh, I was in bed, I believe it was towards Christmas and, um, I think I was 31 or 30 and my wife and my uh, and I had our, our bed facing this big picture window that we had in our bedroom. And, uh, there was a Christmas tree in front of the window. And, uh, I, I saw a being outside the window, a face. We were on the second floor. <laughs> um, and immediately when I saw that face, my head began to drop, uh, as if I was going to sleep, but I was sitting up reading a book. Um, 
And my head is saying, wake up. It's them. They're here. You know, you need to get up. And then I lifted my head up real quick and it was gone. Um, and I think sometime later that night, if I'm remembering correctly, is when I was in that kind of hypnagogic sleep area where I was almost asleep and almost not. This is one of the very few, you know, sleep-related experiences that I can remember, is I remember seeing two symbols in my blackness of my vision at the time. And these two symbols were coming together like this. And one was, I think one was a purpley color and one was a blue color, and they were coming to kind of form one symbol together. And they were kind of complex and I remember that as they came together, I had a really uneasy, bad feeling about it. And I remember hearing um, uh, the number th- 33, someone saying 33, 33, 33, 33, 33. And it was getting louder and louder until it became so loud that it woke me up. Um, that is very much what the voice did in this other state. It was that, you know the the progressive volume and the proximity got real close and real loud, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. So what that is, I don't know how that connects together, but Did the um, symbol look like a 33. No, no. Huh. Um, it was arrows. It was arrow and just twisted up. And, the, and then the other one was a little more simplistic. This one was more complicated and they were coming together to kind of overlap and become something else. And that's what I remember about it. I couldn't draw it if you paid me. I, I just don't remember what it looked like. Um, but I know that I had a very bad feeling about it. I didn't want I didn't want to see these two symbols together. And uh, uh, and and for for the next two years, I thought I was going to die at age thirty three. <laughs> um, so you know, I didn't know what the significance of thirty three was over and over and over and over. You know. Um, uh, and there was a time where I could remember what that 33 voice sounded like. And, uh, um, and now I, I, I can't compare it to what I heard with the mushrooms. So I don't, I don't know if they were the same or not. I, I couldn't say, I, I just don't know. Um, I will say it's a lot harder to remember things, uh, in that mushroom, uh, thing than, I thought I thought I'd be able to like you know remember everything, write it down as it's going on, um, but I, I just there are some things I just can't remember. I I remember bits and pieces, and I, I it's just it's gone. I mean I think about it now, it seems like it was somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really it. That's all I know to say about it. So we'll be back next week with guests. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of a cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs, and two little kittens, and a pair of mittens, and a little toy house, and a young mouse, and a comb, and a brush, and a bowl full of mush, and a quiet old lady who was whispering hush. Good night, room. Good night, moon. <laughs>